we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, Ron, it's the ever-popular free Rider Friday. Right on. Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm ready to ready ready to roll on this. Uh, always a stack of stuff bulging and ready to ready to talk some fun stuff with you. I just want to make a a, a quick reannouncement, and, and we should be seeing some details soon. But but Ron, I'm I'm getting pretty excited about the Verisage event coming up in November. Yeah, me too. Apparently, other people are too because I keep getting messages from people. How do I get more information? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there will be details shortly, and uh, perhaps on the show in the show notes of this, even when 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 the the website is ready. But our our Verisage colleague Kirk Bowman is is working diligently on getting a, a website up and running and. Once that is there, we will be promoting it far and wide, and we, we hope to, to have a lot of you come and visit us in, in, in the great state of Texas, near my, my home in Allen. So uh, looking forward. So I think that's going to be a fun, a fun, super fun event. It will be, and it's probably going to be our biggest ever. I think so. I think we're going to blow the doors off it. So pretty excited. All right. Well, that, um, that's sort of a free rider topic since we can, you know, the, the rules on free riders, you can talk about anything. So I'll uh, we'll open with that. But uh, what do you got? What's what's the first thing in your stack of stuff, Ron? A light but fun one, Ed, because I learned some stuff with this. In 2008, an out-of-work chef by the name of Roy Choi began selling $2 Korean barbecue tacos from a roaming kitchen on wheels in Los Angeles. And I didn't realize this. That inspired a reality TV program and a, and a hit Hollywood film. I have no idea what that one was. Uh, but it helped jumpstart a $1.2 billion industry, which, of course, is food trucks. Mm-hmm. Now, here's where it gets interesting. In Portland, Oregon, these have been around for quite a while. Uh, there's over 500 of them, Ed, in Portland. Wow. And now think Chicago. We've mm-hmm. been to Chicago and had many fine meals. There's 7,000 plus restaurants in Chicago. Heck, there's 144 breweries in Chicago. I, that's got to rival uh, Portland even maybe. But you know how many food trucks there are in Chicago? <laughs> Would it be zero? It'd be 70. 70. It, might, it might as well be zero. Right, And because they can't be within 200 feet of an eatery, a brick-and-mortar eatery, they can't park for longer than two hours, and they're required to carry a GPS or face-heavy fines. So here we have the murder capital of the country, or one of them, (laughs) and I'm just thrilled to know that the state government is spending its resources protecting people from food trucks. New York and Boston, by the way, are a little better. New York. There's a 15-year waiting list to operate um, one of these food trucks. Apparently, it's like a medallion system with the taxi cabs. They rent for 25 grand on the black market. 
Wow. And that's a full-size food truck. Because one of, one of the things in New York City that have, have always been around is little breakfast carts. The carts. Yeah, right. exactly. And I think you're right. The, the, that is not a full's Because those aren't, I guess those aren't, uh, what would it be called, self-powered? You know, they're not. They oh, don't I have see. An okay, doesn't, doesn't it, have an it, engine. All right. It, so that's, yeah. 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 I, I, I'm, I'm sure there's a regulation we could look up for that. But uh, I just, you know, this, this is just one more example of just the ridiculousness of keeping entrepreneurs down. This keeps the poor off the first rungs of the ladder. I mean, this is right up there with all the stupid occupational licensing that we have in the states. And this is just one more thing to throw on that hopper. Yep, protectionism as it's at its best. We're, we're, and, and again, we're making sure that the restaurants have a business. But you got to remember, Ron, in, in Portland, I'm sure they have like a pretty high minimum wage, too. So they probably that's why they want to make sure that the that people go to restaurants and not go to these food trucks because they got to pay those minimum wage people. Yeah. Oh, do you mean Portland or do you mean Chicago? Portland. Portland. Uh, Portland. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Portland. Yeah. Um, it, now, I, and Chicago too. I'm not sure what the minimum wage is there, but I, but but the the point is, is that government regulation begets government regulation. Yeah, it it tries to solve one problem and creates ten more, and then it just grows on itself. I I did find it really amusing, given all this thing going on with you know North Korea and the American prisoner who died over there after he was returned home. I think in a coma, but there is a food truck in Portland called Kim Jong Grillin'. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm sure that they have an X on their back by the Korean government for that one. Absolutely sure. By the way, the movie that you were that uh, was referenced there is the movie is called Chef, and I I did happen to see it on a on a flight a couple of years ago. I think it was re- released in like 2000. 13 or 14 something like that and it, uh, John Favreau is the star of that and uh, okay. one of my favorite actors has a, 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 a decent sized part in it but uh, John, John Leguizamo I, I just think he's a, a fantastic actor you probably recognize him he's had a lot of uh, bit parts but yeah a lot of pe- a lot of good folks in that Scarlett Johansson and, yeah, and Dustin Hoffman I think even makes an appearance in it. Oh wow, and and I know that uh, twi- this guy tweeted and back in two thousand eight. This Roy Choi, you know, as he moved around, and I know that's really fed the movement as well. And Austin is big on this, is aren't they? The food trucks. Yes, Austin is big, and 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 also getting bigger is the the city of Waco, the city yeah. of Waco, which is in in between Austin and Dallas. Right. And one of the reasons for that, curiously enough, I don't know if you or any of our our listeners, I'm sure some of our listeners have seen. The, the 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 TV show Fixer Upper, mm. uh, and it's on it's on Home and Garden I think H, you know HGTV and this uh, this couple that that started this show I think they're I don't know five or six seasons in, but they they are based out of Austin Texas I'm I'm sorry at Waco Texas and they do real estate but then they also redo the house right so the whole show the whole premise of the show is you buy one of the cheapest houses in the nicest neighborhoods and then completely gut it and redo stuff and you should see you know what 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 maybe even like 3 300 or 400,000 dollars can get you in Austin uh, for that it's pretty pretty good and this couple is very dedicated to to and I keep saying Austin to Waco, they're really really dedicated. In fact, people uh, from lots of different places, even just just in in Dallas or Austin, have asked for this for this couple to come redo their homes based on the TV show, and they won't. They're like, nope, seventy five mile an hour, seventy five mile 
radius of Waco, Texas, and that's it. And then yeah. the, here's the food truck connection, by the way. And they, they opened this store called Magnolia. And it was so jam-packed after this show opened that they had to get they, – they, they, like, I don't know, got a new place that's ten times the size of their original store where they sell their, their little the, – the trinkets and the stuff that she uses to decorate with, right? And at, part of this place is a big food court area where it's food trucks, and they rotate them in and out. Wow. Right? Wow. And so it's fascinating. So every time you go down there, there there are a couple of food trucks that are that are are kind of more permanently there. Like I think there's one coffee vendor that they're connected to, but the others kind of rotate in, and they they've got this set up so that every time you visit their Magnolia store, you go out to the 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 food court or the food truck court, and you're going to be able to get a, a a slightly different meal and a different cuisine. And it's 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 absolutely fantastic. They've got a big courtyard where you can play with the kids and all kinds of fun stuff. So there. Here's the exact opposite of what you were talking about, the restrictions that cities like Chicago and Portland put on these things and the, the destruction of entrepreneurship. Well, when you actually allow this stuff to, to blossom and prosper, you, you get this, this, this whole set of synergy and it's, it's really making a difference in, in the city of Waco, which, which is you know, rel- relatively depressed or has been for a number of years. Well, that's why Texas is thriving. And, and, and by the way, the, Portland doesn't really have the level of restrictions on these things. They have over 500 of them. Oh, so okay. they're, they're okay. pretty laissez-faire. It's the contrast with Chicago that, gotcha. <laughs> that struck me. Okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's great. That's great. I did yeah. not know that about Waco, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So. Good stuff. Good All stuff. right, Ed. What oh. do you got? Well, I, I want to talk a little bit about our friend Rory Sutherland. I don't, I don't know if, you, if this came across your, your uh, desk as well, but he, he released a little article uh, called Marketing to Confuse the Competition. Yeah, you're killing you me, Ed. This? You just pulled something off my stack. Ah, that's okay. I, lo- I love it. I love it. I love it, when I, <laughs> love it when, I, when I pull from your stack and vice versa. Uh, you know, and he, of course, he opens with a great story, which is the, the story of the movie Airplane, you know, and, and, you know, maybe we ought to turn on the searchlights and Captain Kramer goes, no, that's what exactly what they're expecting us to do. Um, just a, a great thing. But he really does a great job in this this piece of setting up with what's necessary for marketing um, in in organizations, and I think he's dead on here. And that if you really think about it, if you well, if you think about it for even more than five minutes, you realize that best practices in marketing is a sure way not to differentiate yourself. Yes, exactly. Right. Yep. So, so unlike other areas of the business where where maybe, and you and I might even dispute this where me tooism or you know crony or or karaoke capitalism and best practices might give you some kind of a, a of a leg up or at least temporarily because it's so easy easily copyable but it it makes it absolutely clear that that organizations that if they if they all adopt the same best practices of marketing uh, they would end up looking very much the same. And I think he even says that if everybody, if everybody adopted best practice practices with regard to logo design, we don't, everyone would have the Nike logo, right? right. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> or, or something like it. But one of the things that, that came out in this article, and it was something that I, I, um, I had heard him say previously, but it just, it just, 
was nailed home in this article, and I just love this line. He says, a flower is a weed with a marketing budget. I know. I do. I, it's one of my favorite Rory Sutherland-isms. It's fantastic. I, I love how he talks about, you know, most businesses run like air traffic control, hence kind of the airplane movie tie-in. You know, they have rules and routines. You know, they optimize, copy, repeat, right? Uh, he says, but the other parts of a business don't work this way, and marketing is one of them. It can never be standardized. You know, he gives the example of EasyJet and and British Airways might have the same approach to safety, but their marketing of their brands are going to be completely uh, different. And I love this line, Ed, and you probably picked up on this too. Um, the grand strategist Edward Lutwak, who I've, mm-hmm. I've never, I don't, not familiar with him, but he argues against the obsession with efficiency, and he says this line, strategy demands doing the least efficient thing possible to gain the upper hand over your enemy by confusing them. Mm-hmm. The guy sounds like a military strategist first off because uses the word enemy, which I would never use to describe the competition. But that mm-hmm. said, this is, this, that's a brilliant thought. Yes, it is a brilliant thought. Right, right up there with our friend Jules Goddard. Um, and his and his thoughts on strategy. R- Rory obviously is obsessed as we are with the effing debate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. he keeps coming up with these great lines, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know, th- there's also the line in there which I had heard also that you know there's there's a lot using statistics as a drunk uses a lamppost for support rather than illumination. Right, and I right. and I think that's a that's a great line about about data in general, right? Data in general inside an organization, and the the and we're only a minute from the break. But one of the things that this 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 really inspired me is to, is to think a little bit more about ROI and the, the notion of ROI in businesses. And I, I actually am am starting an article that I'm going to going to produce for uh, a new sage. Um, property that we're doing this going to be a, a sage advice co- column business advice mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. and it, and it's going to be on why roi tools are wrong beautiful right? he, yep and uh, and the, the thing that i got out of this was that the, it, or it, it inspired it doesn't say this in the article but the, the thing that inspired me in reading this and in thinking about it was that what every single roi tool that i've ever seen developed does not do is does not ask the question, what if we don't do this? Right, great point. Right? Because yep. oh, yep. ROI presumes the investment, right? It says, okay, if you invest X, you've got to prove X times whatever, 3X, 5X, whatever. Right. right? So if you invest X, you've got to get the, the return. But what is not ever asked in that, in, that, in, in that is, okay, if we don't do it, what are the potential consequences and that should that should be factored in as well. I love that. And and you know he says we dress marketing up, and you could probably say dress ROI up. Uh, it's like science to protect us from the CFO. Just one more thing. I know we got to go to a break. He said this too, and I love this. He said in our Aspergic age, it's easier to get fired for being illogical than for being unimaginative. And I thought that was a brilliant point. It is. It is a brilliant point. Stuck the landing on that one, as they say in the Olympics. But all right. Well, we're up against our first break here, Ron. We want to remind you that you can contact Ron and me by sending emails to ask, A-S-K-T-S-O-E, for thesolarenterprise.com. That's ask, T-S-O-E, at verisage.com. And the website, thesolarenterprise.com. Very easy to remember. 
where we post full show notes and previews to upcoming shows, as well as our archive page where you can view all almost 150 of, or listen to, I should say, 150 of our previous episodes. But right now, a word from our sponsor, Leading Results. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If Google can't find you, do you exist at all? At Leading Results, we want to help you get found locally, both in search engines and directories. We want to help you have an outstanding reputation online. And we want to help you get those blogs written and interact on social media. Simply put, Leading Results helps customers find you. By working with our team, your practice grows and your profitability improves. Focus on what you do best and delight clients. Leave the marketing and lead generation to us. To learn more, go to leadingresults.com slash packages. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're Free Rider Friday here in June. And Ed, I got one for you. Okay. Amazon just invented the bookstore. <laughs> They have a brick-and-mortars bookstore in New York City. Can you mm-hmm. believe it? And, I can. And, and here's the funny thing. It looks like a Borders. Uh, <laughs> one, thing I, one thing I love how they do, though, is they all the books face outwards. Oh, I, I see. That, okay, I like their was... like the shelves, like on that that they have it. Like when you see things on the Amazon webpage, mm-hmm. they're all you always they always face that way. It's an interesting branding thing. Yep, and and of course they have if you like section right people mm-hmm. who bought this or if you like this you might be interested. So it's a bunch of recommendations, and uh, it was an article. In fact, it was in the Foundation for Economic Education. Um, wrote an article. M. G. Siegler. He visited the place and roamed around they have also some other things that you know like gadgets and electronic things you know i think kindles are in there probably obviously but other things that you can also buy on amazon um but here's what i thought was really really clever mm-hmm. they're pricing okay if you're a prime member you pay whatever the price is on amazon but if you're not you pay the full list price ha <laughs> Interesting. So how how smart is that? If anything, their bookstores are going to drive prime membership. Right. Genius. 
<laughs> so the bookstores are not really there to sell books; they're there to drive Prime membership. Well, uh, it doesn't say that, and I'm not, and I'm not sure that's the only thing, but it's certainly an add-on benefit to this. Right. You know, no. he's he's lowered it for the poor too. By the way, I don't have this in my stack, but it was another article talking about, you know, he's going to make Prime membership. I uh, give a discount, uh, twenty or thirty bucks a year. I forget um, to people, and I and I guess you'd have to prove this somehow, but. You know, you'd be able to get Prime membership from them. Cool. At a reduced rate. So mm-hmm. I just thought that was really neat. Well, while we're, while we're on the subject of Amazon, I actually did ha- come across, well, I'm sure that everybody knows about this one. So let's talk about this one first. The, you know, the Amazon purchase of Whole Foods. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. Whole paycheck. Whole paycheck. Yeah. And I just love some of the some of the jokes. It was like a universal joke that everybody came out with. Right. Which was that which which was the oh, 13.7 billion dollars. That's like three trips to Whole Foods. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, uh, Alexa, buy me something from Whole Foods. Yes. I was going to mention that. That was that was the best meme. That was the best. The that one guy lucky. came up with that creative thing. Is like, Alexa, buy me some Whole Foods. Like buying Whole Foods. Oh, no. Not, hold on. Wait a minute. Not everything. Probably how you got ended up at the Washington Post. <laughs> yeah, whoops. Uh, it was it was during the Alexa beta period. Uh, that's funny. But the other thing that I wanted to mention, and this was just a, a story kind of tucked in amongst a, a bunch of others, and and about this, and it must have been on the announcement uh, of of Amazon opening the, up this brick and mortar bookstore. But they also have developed a patent or submitted for a patent on some kind of technology that blocks the ability of your of a of our cell phone from seeing prices at other places. Ah, very interesting. Okay. Now, the way that I have been able to surmise about this is that it's not necessarily so much a technology as it is a VPN, a vir- virtual mm-hmm. private network. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And the idea would be that if you are at that at the Amazon store and you are connected to their free Wi-Fi at the store, then the virtual private network does not allow you to see like what. OK, so what is um, you know, what what is Walmart selling this for? Right. Right. So that's that that's that that's this that's what people are surmising now an, an, but another interesting theory is and I think this is by far the more interesting one although probably less likely is that they did this to prevent others from implementing it in other words they developed and filed this patent so that the best buys of the world couldn't implement something like this so in a, they hold the patent on it therefore if anybody tries mm. to implement it, they would not be able to. Right. Now that's kind of creative. I'm not. I'm not big into it either way. Like either way, I think it's it's kind of kind of anti. It's 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 anti free market as you and I would define free market. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's it's really about about uh, uh, making sure that you're feathering your cap and and capturing a, a, as much of the market as possible. Which you know do that because you have the best product, not because you have technology that that precludes others from doing something else right right yeah no that's really interesting i I think we're starting to see i've got something else in the stack on just dynamic pricing in retail and you know i'm starting to see people post on facebook i went to the checkout and the price changed by a penny and 
I, I, you know, why would they do that? And I've got, I've got some thoughts on that, why that might be happening. But um, yeah, I did not hear about that. That's very interesting. But if you had your own connection Ed, to the internet, you weren't linked to their Wi-Fi. Would you be able to get through that yes. firewall? You yes. Would. So that's yeah, what okay. that's what that's what I'm saying. Is, is like it, if you if you were just still on, if, if you're still on your you know LTE network or whatever, right. yeah, your carrier, it's your phone's just going to operate like your phone. Like I, I don't think they could do like any kind of a jamming tr- transmission that would. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be like being in North Korea, you know, you're stuck with their little intranet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But but I but I do think that that second idea that it that it that is far more interesting, although I don't think it's likely is like they're doing it to block others from doing it, which is interesting. Right. right. Anyway, well, just I don't want to take cut into your time. It's just because we're on Amazon. I just have to say thank you for recommending to me The Man in the High Castle. Oh, yes. Amazon <laughs> content only. So the only place you can get this is Amazon, right? You're mm-hmm. not able to watch it anywhere else. And it's just, it's just, folks, it's just a great series. First off, I'm amazed that Bezos did this, giving his political philosophy. But it, it, it what a great premise. It's based on a book by, um, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Philip uh, Dick. Philip Dick. Phil- Philip K. Dick, Dick. yeah. Yeah, Philip K. Dick in the 60s. And, of course, I went out to our TSOE sci-fi analyst, Robert Wood, uh, <laughs> knower of all things sci-fi and just related. And um, he, he also liked the book and uh, it enjoyed the first season. I just made it through the first season. There's only two seasons up. I'm in the third series, uh, third episode of the second season. And I'm just enjoying the heck out of it. And it's so well done. The settings, the the whole premise is just fantastic. I'm just... Uh, just blown away with how good it is. I just, I give Amazon a lot of kudos because I think about how expensive that is, Ed, to produce something. Mm-hmm. And I think, how is, you know, how's Amazon, how is Amazon monetizing that? I mean, mm-hmm. I Prime is part of that, but is it DVD sales? Is it prestige? I mean, that's, that's a lot of money to produce these shows. It's, it's, it's Amazon subscribers. I mean, cause it's all, it's all about content now, right? It's just all about content, and if they can, they can say this. This is exclusively available at Amazon, at least for a time. My guess is that, by the way, it's it's going to be available on more than one platform. Although, possibly not, because I don't know if you know, but but uh, Apple announced that the Amazon Prime Video streaming service would be available on your Apple TV. I think at yes. some point this summer. Yes, I've heard that. Yep. Right, and for the longest time it wasn't. In fact, when I was watching the the man in man in the high castle, I, w- I actually I had to bring it up on my phone, right, mm. and then and then uh, air air airstream it, whatever it's called, airplay airplay it to my TV, which had the mm. Apple TV on it. Mm. Right? It was mm-hmm. a little, little bit of a pain that way. It still worked, but uh, but but I think it's going to be really cool. And like you said, one of the really neat neat things about watching something on Amazon Prime is all of those. Uh, the 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 things that come up that allow you to go and get into the background of the story, right? the trivia. You know, yeah. they they give you some. Uh, they tell you where the the scene was shot, or a little bit about how they built the scene, or even just even the different settings and 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 the the you know the tchotchkes that are on people's desks or whatever. You know how those came about, what they mean historically. I mean, they really put some thought into this series, and it's it's very ambitious. I'm super impressed with with the whole the whole thing. Yes, I, and I absolutely love uh, Rufus Sewell, who who plays Obergrubenfuhrer Smith. <laughs> yes. I love I love the fact that it's Obergrubenfuhrer 
Smith. Smith. <laughs> yes. Uh, I it's, know. it's John Smith too, isn't it? It's just like just John yeah, Smith. Yeah. 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 So it's yeah. like the the absolute quintessential uh, American name uh, is is now the Nazi dude. So, folks, if uh, just just the premise is you know, basically Japan and uh, Germany won the war, and yeah. they they totally occupied America, and there there is even the neutral territory. <laughs> yeah, because nobody nobody wants the middle of the country. There's not nothing <laughs> unless you have uranium deposits or whatever. But you know, the West Coast basically is under Japanese rule, and the East Coast uh, is under uh, German rule, and it's just just phenomenal. And and again, just bone chilling to think about this premise. It, it just it makes me uncomfortable just watching it, and that's that's part of its charm. <laughs> part of its charm is the uncomfort it puts you in. Oh, big yeah. time! Big time! Yeah. Yeah, yeah, some really, really good stuff there. I, I, I very much enjoyed it. And it said Rufus Sewell is one of my favorite actors, and he was also I mentioned in in uh, the PBS series um, uh, Victoria, and he mm-hmm. was very, very good in that as well. So yeah, yeah, super impressive. All right, Ed, sorry, I didn't mean to uh, cut into your time, but what do you got? No, not at all. I think I think let's let's we were a little bit over on the previous, so let's take a break now and we want to remind you can contact Ron or me at Ask TSOE. Also, the best place to get a hold of us is uh, on Twitter where you can just at Ask TSOE or hashtag Ask TSOE. We do monitor that and we'll look for any any references to that and answer any questions that you might have for us either during the show or after or in, in between our the our 167 hour break. Uh, but right now we want to remind you to uh, have a listen to our our sponsors coming up right now. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're Free Rider Friday here in June. And folks, I'd like to remind you, you can contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Uh, Ed, many of our uh, listeners have reached out to us on LinkedIn asking about this event in Dallas or just other ideas for the show and um, got, got some really good feedback on the Changing Your Mind episode, which was really cool. Uh, yes. So it was really uh, heartened to see all that. So thank you, folks. If you've uh, contacted us uh, through one of these social media platforms, we truly appreciate that. So, Ed, what do you got for us? I want to introduce you, Ron. This is probably be quick unless you've got some some high commentary on it. But I want to introduce you to a, a new phrase that I, I heard for the first time a couple of months ago and didn't didn't think to make note of it. And then I heard it again. And I said, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta talk about this on Free Rider Friday because I really, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's an economic term, and it would just be it's appropriate that it fits in here. And it, it, it's really for all social sciences, but most especially in economics, the term is called a stylized fact. Yes, a stylized <laughs> fact." Yes. Um, I, I, I've heard this on a couple different podcasts I listened to. It came up on Planet Money. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, so define it. Define it yep. for us. And, and I, I like this because it's, it's defined simply as a simplified presentation of an empirical finding. Mm-hmm. A simplified presentation of an empirical finding. A stylized fact is often a broad generalization that summarizes some complicated statistical calculations, which, although essentially true, may have some inaccuracies in the detail. Right. Right. right? And the, the most noted of this, is, or one of the, the, the more examples of this, would be the, the following sentence. Right? So this is an example of a stylized fact. Education significantly raises lifetime income. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so certainly, and it was, so what that that says is there's lots and lots of research around the fact that if people get educated, they go get get their college degree or advanced degree or MD M, MBA or whatever, that their likelihood of having the, of of having a higher lifetime income is significantly greater, right? And what I like about that is if you think about it, it doesn't mean that everyone who gets an advanced degree will make more money. Right, right, right. Yep. But it, but it encompa- uh, in, in, encompasses and simplifies the notion to to say that okay, th- this this is this is a basic idea. Yes, you can find counterexamples. I'm not saying it's a theory. I'm not positing it as a something that cannot be falsified. I'm just saying that for the most part, it's true. And what I like about it is it's really beyond an assumption. Right. Mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. really the thing that 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 I like about it is it's beyond an assumption. It's like, no, no, no. This isn't just something that I assume. This is something that there is evidence is is a basic truth. But once you get into the minutia of stuff, you can certainly find examples that that falsify it. And it's just it's 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 a useful it's a useful statement for the purposes of having a conversation about something. And, and I, and I think that in business, I think we, we need to begin to, uh, you know, use these stylized facts. And I think in a lot of cases, Ron, we use them all the time. We just haven't been cognizant of it. 
Right. You know, right. there's a big thing in economics that they do that accounting doesn't do. They always talk about the error factor in data, right? They're, 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 this is subject to, you know, 5 10% swing or whatever. And you think about it, accountants don't do that. Yeah, they have a materiality threshold, but you, you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's errors in the data or there's fluctuations or other anomalies in the data, but they're not really talked about. And And I think this is a way of kind of qualifying that it's almost like a qualified fact isn't it mm-hmm. yep and and, it, and it's it's almost like okay it, let, let for the like if summarizing the sentence for the sake of argument let us agree that x that this x, is yep. true if you right? inoculate kids against you know some disease they're going to have higher lifetime incomes or i mean i know russ roberts this is one of his pet peeves you know right. all these studies that try and determine things when you're a kid you know the roi is you know, 10 times if we do this, well, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> right. <clears throat> right. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought that that was, that was a, it's, it's a really interesting term and I want to, I want to begin to you to begin to use it in proper places because I think it can be a useful tool in business, not, not just in economics. I think we can, you know, begin to have conversations around conference room tables where we say, okay, what, what are our stylized facts in this organization? What are, what are those, not just assumptions, but what are those things that we have some basic evidence basic evidence of that we that we certainly assume to be true that in in essence are truth but yes there might be counterexamples but we're not going we're not going to worry about the counterexamples we're just going to accept it as fact moving forward right right i just heard another podcast where a guy said if you don't have data behind it it's hearsay well maybe maybe not i'm not sure it just has to be data it just has to be some type of evidence right yep that doesn't yeah it doesn't necessarily have to be data i would agree with that Definitely. Yeah. That. No, that's okay. really good. That's it's interesting. I have picked up on that too, but I didn't think to note it. But uh, I've heard it on the Cato webcast. You know, the free thought guys have talked about the stylized fact, and I think Russ <laughs> Roberts has talked about it. I know yeah. Planet Money has. Yeah, I think I think the first time I heard it was uh, Peter Van Dorn. I think he's the one who who uses it. He's okay. a stylized fact. Yep. Excellent. All right, Ed. Hey, this is it. We've got another add another company to the roster that has eliminated performance reviews. All right. Yay. Shout out to them, whoever they are. Written up in Forbes. First line from the co-founder and CEO of this company, performance reviews don't work. There, I said it. Uh, and, And I just love this. Your typical performance review is an inaccurate representation of how your employees are performing. And more often than not, they're a giant waste of time. For you and your team, let's call them what they really are, a massive distraction, and worst of all, a demotivator. Amen. Amen. Couldn't have said it better. So this company has eliminated their rankings. No more of this one to five slapping a number on people. Mm -hmm. Um, They did an anonymous survey. They do this every year, anonymous survey of their employees just to get feedback on, you know, gripes or issues, whatever. Right. And... Everybody said they hated the annual performance review Kabuki Theater, but they wanted more feedback. And so what the CEO does instead, the system they put in place is they hold consistent one-on-ones. They ask employees how they think they're doing. They make it go both ways. So the leader also asks the employee how the leader's doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't tie any feedback to compensation. And of course they encourage their employees to be proactive. Um, you know, again, the gaping hole here, I think, is the after-action review. 
I'm, I'm just amazed as I read it, and I'm so excited that all these companies are doing this, but I haven't read one that's implemented the after-action review. Interesting. And we've been screaming from the rooftops about how great the after-action review is. You want constant feedback. You want to actually improve future performance. You want sure. to take the focus off compensation, raise, all the other noise that goes with a, you know, an after-action review does that because it focuses on the work, mm-hmm. right? Not, not all this other uh, noise in the background. Now, here's the funny thing. The co-founder and the CEO of this company is my favorite app, T-Sheets. Yay! Matt Rizzle. Uh-huh. And my, my only comment, Matt, if you're out there, if you're listening, you, you, your first paragraph in this story, uh, you know, your typical performance review is inaccurate representation. It's a waste of time. Massive demotivator. So are time <laughs> I know where you're going. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so maybe we have better systems for, for that, too. But, you know, that, that's a conversation for another day. But I'm... I'm uh, I even left him a comment on his Facebook page, you know, congratulations, joining a long line of of forward-thinking companies like Netflix, like, you know, HubDoc, um, a whole bunch of others that we've talked about on the show, Adobe, Accenture, Deloitte, Mm -hmm. um, and have gotten rid of these things. Well, I curiously, I did see uh, Kelly and Misty at an event that I did a couple of weeks ago. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, they are both T-Sheets employees, by the way. So shout out to them if they're they're listening. And one of the things that I think it was Misty who brought up with me. She she, she because I, I first of all I asked them, do, do you guys eat your own dog food? Meaning, do do they do timesheets at T-Sheets? And the answer is yes, by the way. Mm-hmm. So hey, at at least at least they're you know, copying to it. Unlike there's a lot of consultants to the profession who won't say get rid of timesheets. And then when you ask them if they do timesheets, they say no. Mm-hmm. Right. So but that's we're different. Drives, yeah, we're different because that's hypocritical and drives me crazy. But it, so it is kudos to them. But but one of the things that 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 Missy did say is that she she said I got she said I got some insight out of looking at my the, the data that I had entered into my timesheet. And I said, well, okay, so let me let me go on record to say this. If you're if 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 you personally, and I by you I don't just mean Misty, I mean anybody out there, if you personally are recording the time that you're spending on something, and you personally are then going back and retroactively looking at that to gain some insight into your work habits, and that helps you, I am all in favor. Right? That said. I don't. I don't think there should be one any requirement that anybody do a timesheet. So only if it's something that potentially works for you, right? And you would not impose it on other people. And then secondarily, that if that nobody else sees the result of it, like if you're the only one who's seeing the res, the, the the outcome uh, and the output of the of the the timesheet input process, and it helps you make better decisions, it helps you do your job better. You know what, Ron? I got no problem with it. So I'm that's, I'm that's gonna that's gonna be the, the 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 exception to the rule. Well, you know, I get people that throw at me all the time because I think this is in one of Drucker's books, and I think it's effective executive that you know you can track your time to mm-hmm. see where you're spending chunks of your time. Now, but, but let's face it: when you do this, we're not talking about the six-minute increment timesheet. We're talking about you know I spent two-thirds this week on this 
on these mm-hmm. types of tasks or on the phone or in meetings or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with that. And I, I also, you know, I always have to qualify this. We're not against T-sheets for if you pay your employees by the hour and you have to comply with all these Department of Labor regulations in your state or whatever. I'm not not no. talking about that. We are talking about the six-minute increment timesheet used to determine cost accounting or efficiency of your people or, worse of all, pricing it doesn't do any of that, and it doesn't do it well, and we just think we have superior methods. But, yeah, I have to say, if you want to track your time, go for it. But I, I still think there's better things that you can do to improve future performance. But if it gives you insight or some level of comfort, sh- knock yourself out. Yep, yep. And, oh, by the way, I wouldn't do it anyway. Oh. <laughs> 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 Me neither. But was really thrilled to see that they they just another company that we can put on the roster that uh, you know this is this is really growing every every uh, month or so I see one of these and it's just really cool. Well, kudos to them. That's great stuff. So excellent. All right. Well, what do you got, Ed? I know we've only got a minute here, so maybe okay. we should head out to the break and, uh, and then come back. But uh, folks, I'd like to remind you: check out the Soul of Enterprise We'll have full show notes with links to all the articles and other sources that we talked about today. And check out our live, uh, our archive page at the Soul of Enterprise. You can see, uh, wow, Ed, this is the 149th show that we've done. So we're coming up on the, uh, what's the word for 150? Um, Sesquicentennial. Sesquicentennial. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we need some champagne or something. But uh, uh, folks, in the meantime, we'd like to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we're finishing up our Free Rider Friday. Ron, as always, this just blows by. I can't believe we're on the, the fourth segment already. I, I want to offer... Uh, to you something that I, I know that you've listened a little bit to and we've talked about previously on the show and that is R- Russ Roberts Econ Talk podcast 
But I want to turn your attention specifically to an episode that they did in the middle of June on the topic of what's called emergent order. Right. With uh, And he had guests Mike Munger and Don Boudreaux on. Yes. Uh, and this, this was this. I mean, I we we at the risk of doing a podcast about a podcast. I mean, <laughs> which you you could almost do. You could uh, on that show. You could. It was th- this was so deep, and I've listened to it. I think I'm on my third time now, and I I, I normally don't do this, but I've, I've been making a ton of notes about this. Yeah. Um, and 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 first of all, his when we'll post this in the show notes, but the the wonderfulloaf.org, his poem about this concept of emergent order is brilliant. And I, I really don't want to go into, well, unless you want to take us there, Ron, talking about this notion of, of emergent order. I just want to talk about the following quote from um, Mike, Mike Munger when they were, were, were talking about the, um, the, what they call the fundamental, the fundamental insight of Austrian econ, economic, uh, economics, which is even though the people d- disagree on the value or cost of something, they can agree on the price. And listen to this quote, Ron. Uh, Munger says, all prices are the result of a disagreement about value. Yep. Right? And I, I, and, 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 it, and pri- in this way, prices reconcile disagreements. On value. Uh-huh. I've, I've got it here right in front of me. I, I, <laughs> I, I actually transcribed it because uh-huh. I thought it was such a brilliant, brilliant line. Um, yeah, absolutely love that. And no, I don't want to go down the poem road, but I thought the poem was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just it, it explains the price system, folks. And and uh, we you know we've done shows on this with I pencil Ed. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember the toaster project? You know the guy who tries to make a toaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and and that's kind of what the poem talks about. This this all this coordination that happens without any human design uh, that creates these wonderful things and. Russ's case, a loaf of bread, uh, but mm-hmm. all types of bread, right? White, rye, you know, uh, non-gluten-free and all that. And he just wrapped it up into a poem, and I just thought it was really well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and something that, that I'm going to share with my kids because it's, it, it, it makes it even that accessible. Yeah, yeah, right? for sure. Yep. And and the wonder around this, but you know, the, this this prices reconciled disagreements about value. I mean, it 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 starts to make you think about things almost inside out, right? It's one of it's one of these. Okay, if if prices are the result of a disagreement about value and cost, well, what's the disagreement? Well, I the person who values it and the first person who's costing it, and in a way, it almost makes you think about the it, it the other way because right now, so many people are worried about can I can I recover my cost. And the real question is: Is no, no, no? Can can we can we get can we achieve a higher price due to the value that we provide? So I, it, it it just really did make me think about this in a much deeper way than I ever have before. You know, I I was just listening to the uh, Bitcoin podcast with Trace Meyer, and and they're talking about all the issues with Bitcoin. I I know the value, and they talk about you know how the the price has been going up, right, and all of that, but. They're talking about the underlying, there's some big problems they're facing. Transaction time has slowed way down. Um, it's taking, in, in some cases, a few days to process a transaction. And they're, you know, God, then they start talking really technical. You know, is the solution going to be a hard fork, a soft fork? I mean, there's like four ways they could solve this. Right. They have the best minds working on it. I mean, this stuff gets really complicated really fast. But what Trace said was one of the issues 
that's being debated is the value of the miners. What's the, he says, what's the value of a miner? Well, mm-hmm. the value of the miner is not determined by the labor time that goes into mining. But he said there's people in the, in the community that think it is. He said, this is the labor theory of value. This is insane. <laughs> and I spent five minutes trashing the Marxian labor theory of value. Oh, yay. <laughs> I just thought that was excellent, but uh, uh, really fascinating. Yeah, really fascinating some of the issues that they're having. Um, but, you know, they did talk about at the start of the podcast about the the, the growth and the price, and, and they kind of laid it up to it, it's finally being accepted as, you know, the Internet's currency. And mm-hmm. and this is the guy that, you know, thinks all the talent and all of the, the smart people are in Bitcoin. They're not into what he calls these third-rate players. I mean, at Ethereum <laughs> and other... I mean, it's just really interesting uh, to listen to it um, because this guy's obviously very knowledgeable. He's got a ton of his own wealth invested in Bitcoin, Bitcoin-type startups and mm-hmm. blockchain startups. And so I just found that really fascinating. Yeah, yep, good stuff, good stuff. All right, Ryan, what else you got? Okay, I got one more, Ed, from, of all places, The Guardian. And I'm sorry, somebody sent this to us on Twitter, and I just, I didn't tag it. I was traveling at the time. But anyway, surge pricing comes to the supermarket. And it starts out by quoting the 1861 Philadelphia shopkeeper, John Wanamaker, who inter- who was the first department store or retail store to introduce pi- price tags. And on the price tag, he had a slogan, and the slogan was, if everyone was equal before God, then everyone would be equal before price. <laughs> and, and so before, you know, it was kind of a haggle, but now this changed the relationship between the store and the customer. They set prices, fixed prices that didn't really change. Uh, now, it would for some things like perishables, but for the harder stuff, you know, the stuff that lasts, uh, the, the price didn't change. It led to price wars. Uh, it led to lost leaders and promotions. Um, and it just talked to this article. And, of course, you can imagine from The Guardian uh, was very nervous about the idea that in France and Germany and Scandinavian countries, retailers are changing their prices 90,000 times a day. That's why I think you're seeing, by the way, these minor changes at the checkout between the time you pick up the good and the checkout might, might have varied. I think the prices are just slowly educating you to get used to this. The prices are going to change. And you're not going to bother about a penny. Then you're probably not going to bother about a nickel and then a dime. I mean, I just think it's they're doing what the airlines did to us. Um, but anyway, that's just my supposition. Um, there's a dynamic pricing that's been implemented in the store in Britain, spar stores uh, on bread. It's got a 2.5% uplift in profit and waste dropped by 30%. Now, in the, in, in the grocery industry, that's huge. <laughs> That's huge, a 2.5% uplift in profit. Their profit's not that big to begin with. Mm-hmm. That's pretty big. Um, and what and is, so, so they were just, just well, let me just tell you that. Is, is that like the, as the time goes by, the bread, the bread, the price of the bread goes down or up because yes. of, got you, it, you, okay. You could be standing in front of it and it could change. Um, and you know, I think we're just going to get, we're going to get, uh, we're going to get trained on this. I mean, we're going to get, uh, this is going to be normal. Um, they talked about how Facebook has a hundred data points on people. Other platforms have more data points. We've all heard about orbits, you know, charging Mac users more for a hotel room or a flight 20 to 30% more. One thing, Ed, and maybe you can verify this for me. I haven't been able to verify it. I've heard it in a couple different places. Uber. <sighs> looks at your battery life 
as one indicator of what a ride might be worth to you. Wow. Now that, that, <laughs> this is like the Coke vending machine, you know, that changes yeah. temperature. That's awesome. Because you have a 5% battery life and it's raining outside and you're trying to call an Uber, then it's probably going to be pretty darn valuable to you. It's, you know, umbrellas double, right? Uh, uh It starts to rain. Those guys out there selling umbrellas will double the price and you'll pay for it. Mm -hmm. And these guys were kind of whining. You said, this is going to overturn Oscar Wilde's famous line. The cynic knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. Well, that's under threat. Yeah. (laughs) The cynic's not going to know the price because it's going to change. I just think we're moving more towards pricing the customer. And this is the ultimate expression of it, even in retail. Yep. And I have absolutely zero problem with it. I have zero problem with it. Because yep, I think only unreasonable people pay unreasonable prices. Of course, they slam Uber in here for their surge pricing, you know, 400%. Blah, and, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, exactly. I just, you know, I'm so over that. Um, but, yeah, it was just really interesting. But I just love that John Wanamaker slogan. If everyone was equal before God, then everyone would be equal before price. <laughs> That is just great. Just great. Well, Ron, here we are at the end of another Free Rider Friday. What a great, great show. It was a lot of fun. I think we had some really cool topics in there. And uh, just uh, so thanks, everyone, for listening. And we just uh, I think we should we're going to we're going to try and get in a Sage Summit uh, show next week, Ron. We we're, we're going to record uh, at Sage Summit and and uh, play the first half of that in from Toronto. We already played the ones from Atlanta. So look forward to that next week. Excellent. See you in 167 hours, Ed. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, In the meantime, please do feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. 